Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I am a hospice social worker. Today, it is my very special pleasure to talk to a local veterinarian, Dr. Jackie. She's been gracious enough to spend some time with me to talk about why the rate of veterinarian suicide is so high and shed a little bit of light about what the stressors are of being a veterinarian and how we can make this whole practice a little bit better for everyone, including how we care for our animals. So please strap in and join us. This is going to be a two-part episode. This is part one. I think it's really important that we're talking about these things. Generally, suicide isn't talked about enough anyway, but in this instance, I think it's particularly disenfranchised. So it's a really important issue that we do need to be talking about. On a side note, there is a special guest, Sweeney. He is a smooth fox terrier. He does get into a little bit of shenanigans during the interview, and so you'll hear him in the background on occasion. Just know that the building is not falling around us, just Sweeney having a little bit of fun. So I just want to say how very thankful I am for you to come on the podcast with me and talk about this very important issue. We're going to be talking about veterinarians, disenfranchised grief, and the ridiculously high suicide rate, which is scary for veterinarians. So, it is, yeah. And I'm, I'm, the reason I'm doing this is because I think it's something that needs to be talked about more. And so I think it doesn't, the more that we can speak about it and kind of remove the stigma of speaking about suicide and speaking about mental health in all professions, I think is really important. Absolutely. Um, for listeners just tuning in, this is Dr. Jackie. She's one of our veterinarians at our local vet clinic, and she has graciously given me some time after work, which, you know, it, it was just my heart was hurting, and that's part of the story is my own kind of journey towards vet school and then abruptly away from vet school. Uh, I think I'm probably a little bit older than you, but close in age. You look younger. Um, but I used to come to this vet clinic when I was only 12. Yeah. And um, originally, I was going to go to vet school. Pa- same reason, passion for animals. I mean, mm-hmm. why else does anybody become a vet? Mm-hmm. And it's not for the lack of stress, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, but then there was a, a sudden event that happened when I was job shadowing, and then I realized, no, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. This is traumatic, and it's funny that people come to me when I say what I do. I say, you know, yeah, I work for hospice or in hospice, and oh, that's so hard. And I think there's so many other jobs that are so much harder to me mm-hmm. than than hospice, and this is definitely one of them. Yeah. And just knowing how many times a day, and just right before this, there was, you know, had to be a, a euthanasia. Mm-hmm. And so maybe just before we get into the articles, how do you, how are you even able to compartmentalize that? Because obviously you have to go between patients and we'll get into that a little bit more in detail later after the articles, but oh, my heart hurts right now. (laughs) Yeah, so I I, I just did a euthanasia for a family. Um, It was a, a new diagnosis for them, but it was a dog that had cancer throughout the abdomen and it wasn't doing well and it, it needed to be euthanized. And one of the things that I always tell people is that I feel very strongly that in veterinary medicine, um, it is a gift that we have that we can choose euthanasia for our pets. And um, euthanasia means humane death, and that's what it is. You know, we have an animal that 
can't say I don't want to live anymore, that can't say I do want to live, that, that doesn't project and doesn't say I'm supposed to live three months, I need to get my affairs in order. <laughs> you know, I, I feel very strongly that animals live in the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I feel like it's our job as their advocates to say you are suffering, we don't have a cure for what you're suffering for, so we're going to choose euthanasia. And so the euthanasias that I feel most comfortable with as a practitioner are the ones like I did today where this is a dog with cancer and I can't fix it. Mm -hmm. And I knew that if that dog just went home today, it would suffer Mm -hmm. and it would be very hard for the dog and it would be very hard for the people who love that dog. And so for euthanasia like that, I'm at peace with that because Mm -hmm. I think it's something that I can give them, a gift I can give them. Um, the ones that are hard for us and especially hard for me are ones where I feel like there's more we could have done for the animal Mm. and either because of financial constraints or just emotional capacity, we weren't able to provide the care that I would have liked to have seen for that animal. Sure. And those are, so those are the euthanasias that I really struggle with or even the ones where Maybe it's been too long. The The decision to euthanize was pushed out too long. Mm, mm-hmm. And not enough hospice care was given in the meantime for that animal to be comfortable because people were in denial. Yeah. So those are those are scenarios that lead to a lot of moral stress for me as a, as a veterinarian. I don't do convenience euthanasias. I will never... Would that be like, I can't take this dog anymore, so put yeah. it down? Or... Yeah, so someone who's moving mm-hmm. or just doesn't like that their cat's peeing on the floor or right I don't do I don't do convenience euthanasias um I I can't yeah (laughs) you know I just can't and I'm I would say I'm a very realistic person and if it's a scenario where it's a very aggressive dog and it has it has a bite history or you know they've really tried everything and is behaviorally really something that's far gone I will euthanize in those cases but but I don't do convenience. Mm-hmm. And there are, I'm not going to lie, there's many times when it's a patient I, I love. You know, like there's there's patients that you get really close to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've seen them grow up and you've seen them go through different changes with their owners and you make a diagnosis and you hate, help them for a really long time. And then it's time to euthanize. And I am sad. I am absolutely sad during those moments. And I think the biggest challenge for me during those times is to not cry <laughs> because, because I, I feel strongly that, you know, it's, it's the owner's grief. Mm-hmm. It's, it's their pet. They can't, I can't possibly love this pet as much as they love them. And I, and I cannot trespass onto their grief. You know, it's Sorry. not, it's not I, my. Just for people listening, <laughs> you can't see me, tears rolling down my face right now. So, you know, I mean, those are hard. Those are hard. And I think it's really important that, you know, I mean, certainly you've seen me. Like, I will will shed a tear. And, you know, during euthanasia, I will hug the client. I will tell them, you know, I'm going to miss your pet. And, you know, this is really sad. But you did the right thing. Um, But then it's it's hard. You have to then go on to the next appointment. Right. You have to, like you, you said, how do you compartmentalize? And that's not easy. You know, because I have to wipe my tears away, make sure my mascara is not running down my face, and pop into the next client and say, "Hey, how's it going? This, I'm Dr. Jackie. How are you doing today?" You know, yeah. and and that time and time again is 
taxing. Mm-hmm. And I think what I have figured out is that sometimes I can handle it better than others. Sometimes I'm really tired. Sometimes I'm really stressed. And I go home and I am just, I'm just sad. I'm just plain sad from it. And it's okay to allow myself to be sad. It's okay to say, you know what? You had a rough day today. <laughs> that was that was tough. You said goodbye to a patient that you've loved for years. You know, it was the right thing to do, but you've loved that patient. Or, you know, or you had to say goodbye to a patient that you maybe not have known as well, but there was a teenager in the room crying like crazy, and that was really hard to witness. And to, mm-hmm. to be exposed to that kind of grief was really difficult to see. So give yourself a break, you know, yeah. say, acknowledge I'm sad yeah. and that's okay. And I, I think just the challenge is just of it day in and day out. And so I guess the, really what I'm saying is that the reason I can handle it is because more times than not, I know I'm doing something right by that animal. Mm-hmm. And that's my job. You know, that's what my oath when I graduated almost 10 years ago now is that was my job is to make sure that to relieve an animal's suffering and yeah. to advocate for them, and that's what I do, and that's what I take very, you know, strongly, is that I, this is my job. And there's many times when I have to educate the client and tell them they are in pain. Mm-hmm. I have this conversation all the time with clients, that they say, well, they're not yelping, they're not crying, they're not in pain. Right. They, they are. They are in pain. And so either we do hospice care, we do pain medication, or it's time to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the challenge for me. I think you've put all of that really well. I had 10 million <laughs> thoughts going on in my life. Sure, yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking, yeah, I, I love that you put that in those terms because it is a blessing that we have that I wish, mm-hmm. actually that we, this is controversial, I wish yeah. we could do that for people. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so, yeah. especially working in hospice care, you yeah. know, I am extremely thankful that we live yeah. in a state that has death with dignity, mm-hmm. but it has its limits. It does, yeah. And it's cost prohibitive for some people. Yes. And, you know, and they are able, for the yeah. most part, to tell us, sometimes not, but mm-hmm. um, to have to watch someone, and it, it's crazy to me to think that we would allow our pets, our family members, to have a humane death by right. euthanasia and not yeah. people. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I was definitely thinking of that while you were talking. And it's interesting because whenever I come across any scenarios where you were talking about people and mm-hmm. end of life with people, it's really hard for me to wrap my head, head around it because I come from this perspective every – I do a euthanasia at least once a day. Mm. This I was going to ask This you. is my life, you know, and um, this is how I approach – life and death and it's really hard for me then to see it on the human terms mm-hmm. without this ability for euthanasia yeah so um it's challenging for me i think it's more challenging for me to to uh reconcile human death than animal <laughs> death <laughs> makes sense yeah so yeah i i love that i think that's a really good way to look at it is that you are the advocate for the yeah. animal and yeah. and an educator like you said mm-hmm. so many times people don't understand the nonverbal signs. Yes. If they're not yelping out or limping or, right. you know, just laying there doing the dying cockroach, that yeah. they must not be in pain. And clearly that's not true. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've definitely come across situations where people want to just, I give them a bad diagnosis. They say, you know, the animal's going to die. They want to take them home to die naturally at home. Mm-hmm. And it's 
of course, it's really easy to jump to that like judgment and say, why would you, why would you want your animal to suffer? Why would you do this? Mm -hmm. And what I've learned over the years is that again, comes back to my number one job is to be an educator in terms of the client. And I talk to them about what a natural death is and how it differs from humans because in humans, we would have them on hospice, we have them on an IV drip, morphine or whatever you do to keep them comfortable until they have a natural death Mm -hmm. or you know, 18-year-old kidney uh, cat that's in kidney failure and is dried up like a raisin that's just going to hide into the back of the bed is not going to get that care. Right. And so to die a natural death is truly a horrible thing in that situation, and mm-hmm. I don't want them to go through that. So people are, you know, sometimes people really don't want to, like, play God. Mm-hmm. I've heard that phrase before, or they just morally opposed to it for religious or personal reasons, and... It's just my job to explain why we do it, what it means, what it, what happens, and try to make sure that animal doesn't leave here suffering. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. <laughs> Again, so many thoughts, but yeah. we'll come back to all those points because I think that's a really great opening for why we're talking about these things. There yeah. is a reason that the stress builds up and... Many of those factors come into play when we're yeah. talking about yeah. um, suicide rates. So uh, I know that I've heard that statistic before that um, veterinarians have a high rate of suicide. And when I had mentioned yeah. doing this episode before, everyone's uh, I've heard several times, I thought it was dentists. <laughs> Apparently okay. it used to be dentists uh-huh. because of the mercury that they handled or something. Oh, is that what it was from? That's okay. what someone told me. I, I did yeah. not do my own independent research yeah. to prove that, but... Um, it sounds like their suicide rate has declined, and that would make sense. Okay. If it was because they handled mercury all day and it went mm-hmm. to their brain, then you do make crazy things. A little, a little mad. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the, that's clearly not the case. The most recent report I heard was that veterinarians are three and a half more likely, three and a half times more likely to commit suicide than the general population. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it definitely hit home. And the, and the two, we're going to talk about four different articles today. I'll try not to take up your entire afternoon, (laughs) but um, just want to briefly go over the couple of articles you sent me and then a couple more Mm -hmm. that I found. Yeah. Um, So the first article is called Media's Emotional Blackmail is Killing Veterinarians. This is by Sarah Boston. She's a DMV. DVM, not a DVM. (laughs) That'd be weird. Uh, uh, There wasn't a date on it, but it did come from medium.com if you wanted to look it up. And this notes that veterinarians are currently the profession with the highest rate of suicide. They look at their reasons for this. Um, talking about the media and social media specifically being used to bully, emotionally blackmail, or vilify veterinarians. It discusses the cost of a sick or injured pet, the cost of business, and pet insurance, or more likely lack of having pet insurance. We'll talk about that later. Mm -hmm. You can help me work out my getting insurance (laughs) because I'm a slacker too. Uh, And discusses the consequences of this media coverage, like having limited options of care. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that article, too, talked about either you could give your pet up. There used to be an option that you could give your pet up. Surrender the pet for and, care. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. the, the care would be done and it would be given to someone else. And mm-hmm. I know that people hearing that in the article, and they were using examples, people hearing that would be saying, well, why can't I just have my pet back? And right. it's like, would you say that to a neurologist? Right. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, we'll come back to that point. <laughs> so, um, thoughts just on that first article, real quick. Right, and so this 
I'm really glad, again, that this is being talked about more. Um, I think there was a recent NPR segment about the suicide rate in veterinarians, and even, like, my grandmother, who's on the East Coast, kind of emailed me out of the blue and was like, I just listened to this segment, and I just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. And I'm Mm. like, I know that means a lot, you know, that that, um, is becoming more mainstream to discuss this. Um, And our hope is that the general public will realize how much we do and yeah. what goes on behind behind the scenes. And so I've thought about this a lot, about why it is that, you know, veterinarians have a higher rate of suicide and, and mental health. And I think there's a lot of factors, and there's a lot of people who are smarter than me and spend more time thinking about this who have come up with, you know, more discussions about this. But I think one of the biggest issues is that the type of, now in general, the type of people who go into veterinary medicine are type A overachievers, right? You wouldn't, (laughs) you wouldn't get into school, you wouldn't get through school and you wouldn't work as hard as you do every day if you weren't like that. Mm -hmm. And usually there's something like you've been developed since childhood to be like this. You know, you've been developed since childhood to be a caregiver that puts others' needs before your own and Mm -hmm. will work hard, put your head down and just work hard. Mm -hmm. And, um, and are tend to be introverts who are sometimes very nerdy and maybe not social, maybe socially awkward or, you know, just really like animals. Mm-hmm. And some some vets like people better than others, and, but there's a lot who just really, it's, we do it because we're big nerds who like science and because we love animals and we want to work really hard. Mm-hmm. And I think when you combine all of those things together, you have an individual who's more vulnerable to a lot of the scenarios that are occurring right now in our field. So I think that's one of the kind of the setting the stage for the issues. And then yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of problems right now with like what that article specifically addresses is the kind of bullying on social media and mm-hmm. on Yelp reviews and whatnot. And I have seen so much of that mm. all around where people think everyone has a voice. And they think they're entitled to it without any ability to have, like, a two-sided discussion. Mm-hmm. And people will take to social media and just tear someone down. Right. And it's, it's horrendous. It's like, you wouldn't do that to any. You shouldn't do that to anyone, right? And many times it is just, you know, unfounded, just their own perspective on something. There's one that's been going around the uh, Facebook this past week about a, um, I think a Google review, and this person was saying that vets are just in it for the money um, <laughs> because he listed how much it costs to take his dog for a laceration repair to the local ER. And anyone who's in the field can read this review and say, what is wrong with this man who's saying that vets are crooks and in it for the money? Mm-hmm. That's not even a very bad bill for what happened, <laughs> you know? But that's kind of the reality is that's what people, like, they just will go and try to destroy you on social media. And I, and again, I've been thinking about this a lot, too, because I feel like one of the biggest problems is that veterinary medicine, and I think the same as human medicine, it should not be a service industry in regards to, like, it's not like the customer is always right, you get whatever you want. <laughs> it's medicine, right. okay? My oath is to that pet, is to that animal, mm-hmm. to make sure I'm taking care of them to the best of my abilities. 
And what I have to do as a result is wade through the owner <laughs> and communicate with the owner and educate the owner and you know try to strengthen that bond so that the animal can get the best care. But sometimes that means I'm going to say no to them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, no, I can't just prescribe a medication when I've, I've never seen your pet before because I may be doing the wrong thing by prescribing that medication. Or yes, I have to do you know annual blood work to make sure that the medication that the pet is on is not hurting them. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's there's many times when they're the owner is not going to get the answer they want, but I'm giving the answer that's right for the pet. Right. And so trying to turn something into a, a customer service industry when it is medicine, I think is really damaging. I think it's causing a lot of stress. On our profession and then you also end up with a situation where the the vet that I you know previously described the type they want to do right very empathetic we don't want people mad at us we don't want to say no we want to do everything we can for someone and because we want to help the animal that's above all else sometimes we'll compromise ourselves for that for that reason and I don't like it when I go in a room and I tell someone that an answer they don't want to hear and they get mad at me or they scream at me because they had to wait too long to be seen on emergency or they're upset about their bill. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. And I take that personally. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is very much a challenge. And especially for someone like me, that personality to not take everything personally. And that's where it comes into, you need boundaries and you need to work in an environment, in a work environment where they allow you to have boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really big challenge right now in our profession. And um, in terms of like the, the Yelp reviews, my recommendation is don't read your Yelp reviews <laughs> because there's always gonna, again, there's always gonna be someone with something to say and everyone has a voice with social media. And we had a client I don't even think they were a client, but someone gave us a bad Yelp review one time because we did not sell cat toys in our waiting room. What? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, mean, I mean, that's that's just trolling. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's, it's trolling. Yeah. But exactly. then it, it brings down your reviews and make you right. Know. And 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 I'm like, I spent a few minutes thinking about that, you know, and it brings down my mood. And it's so it's human nature to have the negative sit longer and impact you more than the positive. Sure, sure. And that's an active process to not let the negative get you down mm. and to remember all the times you did good that day and that people appreciated the good that you did and gave you respect that you deserve for what you did. Um, it's But it's an active process to do that. And <laughs> yeah. again, like some days are easier than other days. There's days and I'm just, I'm just tired. And every little bad thing that I hear is just, it feels so personal, mm-hmm. you know. And it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah. 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 So someone's grumpy because they had to wait a few minutes. I squeezed you in as an emergency today. Why are you not grateful for that? You right. know, and, and, but then there are people who are really grateful and are really great. And, and that's the thing is that I think that, I mean, that's why I keep coming to work every day and why I live what I do because the majority of people are great. And I don't, mean to paint this as that life sucks, veterinary medicine sucks. <laughs> but it can, and people don't realize it can. that. It's, it's challenging. I always tell people it's not for the faint of heart mm-hmm. by any means. It's, it's a, you need to have, you need to be tough, mm-hmm. and you need to, you need to learn a lot of, you need to have a lot of personal growth. 
-hmm. and you come out of school and all you've done is learn books and you haven't had a lot of life and you haven't had a lot of personal growth and it's kind of just you need to learn on the job it occurs to me too i used to uh, make cakes 3d cakes and people would watch those shows Oh yeah, and yeah. be like, oh, it just takes you thirty minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it takes days. Yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, how many veterinarian shows? You know, not yeah. not everything's Dr. Pole. No, and they're not showing all the negative stuff. No, they're not showing people screaming at him. Yeah, or yeah. getting upset about a bill. You know, they're not showing yeah. any of that. Or it's a training hospital. Right. You know, <laughs> or they have a staff of ten. Right. You know? Yeah, they're not. The reality is that you're gonna be most days. You're gonna be understaffed. And again, because I'm not good at saying no, the people who continue to say call and say, I need to be seen today, I need to be seen today, I'm already booked at capacity, but I have to be seen, I'm coming in, you know, and that's where boundaries come into play. Mm -hmm. And that's where, as a profession, we need to set boundaries. And like I said, there's going to be people, when you are setting boundaries, when you're doing the right thing, taking care of yourself and your staff and not overdoing it so that Mm -hmm. you are going to provide the best quality for your you know, best quality medicine for each patient that you see and not overextend yourself, you're going to say no to people. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to get a bad Yelp review. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what? That's just life. That's just what's going to happen. And (laughs) thanks, sweetie. (laughs) And when, uh, when you work at a place that allows you to set boundaries, then you're going to have a better quality of life. Mm -hmm. And I, I, one thing I was reading recently is that there's a lot of there's a lot of corporations that are buying veterinary practices. Oh, and it's uh, not as common to be a private business as the place mm. that I work at is. And um, so you have people who are not veterinarians who own the the business and are telling you you have to perform to a certain level. That sounds terrible. <laughs> and I think that is absolutely contributing to the problem that's occurring within mm-hmm. our profession and it's a scary trend to see that and because that's what happens in, in human medicine right mm-hmm. you have the ceos of the hospital like dictating this is what you have to do mm-hmm. where and then you have the nurses bedside saying but i'm understaffed and i haven't had a break in four years and <laughs> you know and, and i don't i can't i can't do this i need to take but i want to take care of my patients and so right. i am lucky that i at least work at a, a practice that is privately owned and we're small mm-hmm. and um, we can we can set our own standards um, I'm thankful for that yeah but I mean boundaries are so important mm-hmm. for you for your self-care mm-hmm. and for the patients I mean yeah. absolutely it, it's the same in hospice when you want to you know you think you have to get out of the mindset of you're not the only one that can help them and yeah. doing things that seem like they would be better are mm-hmm. actually not because setting those boundaries gives people unrealistic expectations. So, you know, people that would continue to come in or come in at the last minute and need something, Mm -hmm. there are 24-hour clinics available. Yes. And just like human hospitals, there are emergency rooms. There are places you can go. It may not be ideal or convenient, but that's what they're there for. Right. Um, Something that is really challenging for me is feeling like, this transference of responsibility. It's mm-hmm. a really, really common scenario. I, I see it all the time where people, you know, they waited too long to get care for their animal, so the animal's really, really sick, or they don't have any funds to care for the animal, and but yet they bought a $3,000 purebred dog. 
mm-hmm. and then their puppy is sick and then but they don't have any money to care for them mm-hmm. so there's a lot of times where it's like I didn't make those decisions I didn't get that dog but not get pet insurance or not have money in the bank to care for it did you read my right? notes before we started because <laughs> that's later in the notes. yeah yeah um you know I I am not the one who didn't call all week long when this dog is sick and now it's dying at 5 p.m. on a Friday and I, right. I don't have money to go to emergency. I'm not the one who did that. Right. And and again, that's where our personality type, it's very hard. to. I've had to learn this, to set that boundary that I'm, I'm, I cannot take on that responsibility mm-hmm. because they will try their hardest to push that onto you. Sure. And I know any therapist will tell you, they hate the phrase, they made me feel, right? <laughs> yes. Like, that's like, they're like, no one can make you feel anyway. You yeah. are, you're going to pick up what they're putting down. Mm-hmm. I've, ha- I've had to say this to myself many times and say, say it to my staff. Don't pick up what they put down, mm-hmm. you know? That is not your responsibility. You did not, ha- you did not make all of those decisions to get to this point. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to do whatever we can now that we're at this point to come to a solution. And that's what I do. You know, that's my job. I am going to tell you the best treatment plan. If you can afford that or you don't feel comfortable with that treatment plan, I can give you plan B. I can give you plan C. I have a lot, I'm pretty creative. <laughs> That's something that I've learned over many years. There's different there's different ways you can do things and there's the most ideal that you learn in school, that you learn in the textbooks and the way you want to practice. But then there's sometimes you have to alter that plan and I feel like, especially at this practice, we're really good at doing that for people. Mm-hmm. So there's really no reason for us to not be able to come to some resolution and make some treatment plan for the pet. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is to choose euthanasia, right? Like cycling back to what we had talked about earlier, there's sometimes when the animal is really sick and you can't afford the many thousands of dollars in some cases to fix that, and so we choose euthanasia. And I'm never going to judge anyone for that. You know, as long as we've had a thoughtful discussion, you know what's going on, the animal's sick, and we can't fix it for mm-hmm. whatever reason, and euthanasia is what we're going to do, I will never judge you for that. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell people that's a personal decision, and there's no right or wrong answer for that. And, yeah, sometimes it's something like a diabetic animal. Give a diagnosis <laughs> of, yeah, you know about diabetic animals. Give a diagnosis of diabetes. There's going to be plenty of clients who say, yeah, no problem, we'll treat. Tell me what I have to do. I'll do whatever I have to do. There's going to be some people that say, there's no way. There's no way I will give injections twice a day. There's no mm-hmm. way that I will put up them on a special food. Okay, I, I understand that. I know not everyone can do this. So, But what we're going to do is we're going to euthanize because I won't, I can, what I cannot handle mm-hmm. is having that pet go home and die mm-hmm. slowly, horribly, because from untreated diabetes. Sometimes you have you have a compromise. Yeah. Where your patient gives them diabetic food. Yeah. And their cat is a turnip and can't get blood. Yeah, yeah. So we so, make a we make plans. So hundred dollar insulin sits in their refrigerator forever. <laughs> Pretty sure it's still there. I don't think I've ever gotten rid of it. Yeah. Ah, funny. Okay. Uh, the second article I have is was written by an anonymous writer. It was February seventeenth of two thousand nineteen. And it's titled, uh, I said it, there I said it, I'm not your therapist. Yeah. <laughs> I know this can be a little controversial too, kind of coming back to that service industry idea, but mm-hmm. it does discuss that vets and staff are having to take more time to listen to all, all manner of personal issues and mm-hmm. family conflict. 
discussing the emotional toll of being the bearer of bad news on a fairly regular basis. Mm -hmm. Discussing having to field comments about how they can afford something and how they came about the animal because they didn't have a choice, allegedly. Uh, And it mentions that there's no class in vet school to deal with human emotions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so absolutely. This this article, I think, really gets to the heart of you're not trained to be yeah. a social worker like me. You're no. not trained to be a therapist. Yeah. You're trained to care for these animals. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, the uh, side business mm-hmm. is not only do you have to deal with the emotions and conflict around the care of the animal, yeah. but who knows what other conflict, family, drama mm-hmm. is happening in your office that doesn't have anything to do with the animal. Right. Yes, and brought to the table. <laughs> or everything else going yeah. on in their life. And all yeah. of a sudden, you're the hairdresser or the bartender right. where they think they could just take all the time and tell you mm-hmm. all the things that have nothing to do with anything. Yeah. And then that's another, you know, because you're a compassionate person and mm-hmm. you feel like you need to help, yeah. then you're stuck in this place of, this isn't really my job. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's really challenging. I have, I have been told things from clients that, like, I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Many things about, you know, their own medical history or their own personal history or had people lift up their shirts to tell me, show me their rashes and, <laughs> and oh yeah, my just goodness. tell me all sorts of things that I don't, is not relevant to the situation at hand. Um, you say the D does mean doctorate, but <laughs> not that type. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the really hard thing about it is that, you know, animals don't take themselves to the vet, right? Like they, they come with a person and, and I don't, when I'm, when I'm talking about this too, I don't want it to come across as that, like, I don't like people or that I don't like my job or that I don't, you know, Either. want to be there with people. I very much value, like, strengthening the human-animal bond and helping people negotiate, um, caring for their pets, for, you know, just wellness things versus when they're sick. And that's really rewarding to me. But there's a lot of stuff that people do dump on their veterinarians that is not relevant to the situation at hand. And, um, and they do it because they're stressed out, because they're worried about their pet, because they have no boundaries. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, because they have some kind of mental disorder, you know, some kind of actual diagnosis, which is mm-hmm. a very common scenario. And, and a lot of people who do have mental health issues, have pets, right? Because they can relate better to pets than the people. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of emotional support animals. That gives me a whole nother episode. That, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> we can just talk for days. But, um, it, so yeah, we see a lot of people who are at times very challenging given their behavior. And it's interesting because I just went to a talk on emotional intelligence. And I kind of had like an epiphany during that talk because he did a really good job describing veterinarians as a, as a whole and saying, okay, you are fact-based people. You are people who are like, we've, we've learned to get this far. We push our emotions down deep. <laughs> you know, like we're, we're pushing, pushing, pushing. We are just pushing through, doing our job. We're not, we're not going to be um, having our emotions out on our sleeves, right? Mm-hmm. This is how we've gotten as far as we've gotten. And then you have someone come at you and it's like, all emotion right like they just like bah, you know throwing this emotion at you and we can't even discuss <laughs> um, 
we can't even discuss like what the matter at hand is like mm-hmm. is your cat eating is your cat vomiting you can't even get through those questions because they're just throwing emotion at you sure and i realized that um <laughs> sweetie's having a lot of emotion right now <laughs> yeah, he's, he's working out his emotion <laughs> he's more visceral though so he just starts digging <laughs> um and so during this talk that i recently went to it occurred to me that when someone throws emotion at me, my gut instinct is to be upset that they're doing that, is to say, this is not right. I am here to be your veterinarian and mm-hmm. that I want to focus on the facts. I want to get the history. I want to do my physical exam. I want to do the diagnostics I have to do and I want to, I want to fix this. I am here to fix this. That's my type A brain wanting to fix this. And I realized that, okay, well, that may be true. I am a type A. I got to acknowledge that. That's what's gotten me this far. But if I don't at least acknowledge how they're feeling, if I don't acknowledge their emotions and kind of give them a moment to meet them there, we're not going to be able to have a relationship to go forward Mm. and to come to that resolution. And so while, yes, it is very important for me to steer the ship (laughs) and to say, okay, we're not going to have a 45-minute discussion about, like, your hurt feelings or your, you know, a story from 10 years ago about your previous cat. We're, We're going to focus on this cat in front of us and come to a resolution. If I'm able to at least, like, meet them on an emotional level, briefly at least move forward we're not going to establish a good relationship Mm. so what helped me and i think i've always known that but i haven't had like the words to describe it and it's very like you know it's very honest of me to say that like i get upset when people throw their emotions at me (laughs) and i don't think a lot of people would admit that because i think i think it's a very human thing yeah but we don't admit it Yeah. yeah but um so you know but if i if i can say okay you know like I'm steering the ship here. You're, you're not the one driving this with your emotions. But I, I acknowledge that you're upset right now. You're sad right now. You're scared right now. Um, and that's why you're throwing anger at me or whatever is being thrown at me. Then we can get on track and move forward. And, you know, sometimes you can do that and sometimes you can't. But... I have talked to a lot of friends who are vets and say, you know, we'll have one of those bad client interactions, right? And you're still, like, you're still upset that night. You're still upset three days later. You're like, why am I so darn upset right now? And it's because most of the time we don't want conflict. We are not emotion-based people as veterinarians. Mm -hmm. We are fact-based, and we don't want someone screaming at us. I don't, I don't go through life screaming at people. I don't have that relationship with my family members, with my husband. I don't, I don't scream at people. I don't want to have conflict. Mm-hmm. And then there's some people who that's their emotional language is to be up there and screaming and, and just having their emotions out there all the time. And that's difficult for us to wade through. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's like, you know, it is, it is your job, but the, the solution is it is my job as a veterinarian to personally set my boundaries and to personally not pick up what they're putting down and to take it personally. But it's still my job, and I think this is where it's going to be the challenge going forward because right now a lot of the dialogue is be nice to your vet, mm. which absolutely is true, <laughs> right? 
be nice to everyone. Mm-hmm. I should be nice to the cashier somewhere else. I should be nice to my waitress. I should be nice to whoever I come across. And I want everyone to be nice and respectful to me back. Mm-hmm. But a huge part of this is how you're going to act in, as an individual in a situation. And I don't want it to be just us against them kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, like this is having that relationship with the client and having that relationship with the patient is very important to me and I want to have a rapport I want to have year after year relationship that's why I work in the place that I work at I don't you know I'm not a emergency room veterinarian I'm a I'm a day practitioner I see them from the time they're puppies and kittens to the time it's end of life and all throughout you know and that's uh, that's really important to me to have that relationship and have them people trust me and so there's times when it's gonna, I'm gonna have to just be able to have a discussion with someone and be able to like meet them on an emotional level to an extent, but not so much that I'm compromised or mm-hmm. that my boundaries have been crossed or, and but that's for me to set. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the challenge for vets going forward. Yeah, well said, well said. And I, it occurred to me while you were talking also, I remembered what else I was thinking when you yeah. <laughs> when yeah. we started this conversation was, I appreciate so much that you are able to have the end-of-life conversations because even in the veterinarian world, so many human doctors are not able to have that conversation. Yeah. But even though it's available to veterinarians, not all of them are willing to have that it's time to make yeah. this decision conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And that is so vitally important to make a decision for your pet. Yeah. So yeah. I am very thankful that you're able to have that conversation openly and frequently because it needs to happen. Yeah. You know, the way I approach everything for my job and for my life is that I think the more you can communicate very openly and frankly, the better off you'll be. You know, I mean, I think it's important to be in touch with your genuine self and to release the stigma of, you know, mental health and be in tune with an emotional language. And I think there's a lot of people who push that down and aren't able to just have frank discussions. You know, it's just, it's like a touchy subject. We can't go there. That doesn't work in my world. (laughs) We have to go there. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to talk about these things and I'm uncomfortable. You're uncomfortable, but you know, sometimes we have to do it. And you know, I think it's really important to be honest with each other. And I always say this to clients. I'm like, it's a two-way street for a relationship. We have to have mutual respect Mm -hmm. and we have to trust each other. And I have to prove to you that I know what I'm talking about, that I'm going to do the best care that I can for your pet and I will be there for you. And, but you have to prove to me that you will honestly tell me how you feel and what's happening with your pet and that you're not going to flip the script and like suddenly the story is different Mm -hmm. or lie about our encounter or you know just change the scenario we have to have mutual respect and mutual trust and that's how we're going to do best for our our patient which is what we want to do for both of us all right that is going to end the part one of episode about veterinarians and Hopefully you've enjoyed it so far. We're going to get a little more in depth in part two, so look forward to that. In the meantime, enjoy what's left of summer, and we'll see you next week.